Revolutionary Talk for Revolutionary Times. Promoting peace, liberty, and prosperity around the clock. LibertyTalk.fm. Welcome to Medicine on Call, where it's all about living the solutions. Today I'm going to have a good friend on who I haven't had on in quite a while, but I think it's time with all the changes that are happening in our healthcare system to have Mr. Ralph Weber on. He is the CEO and I think founder of Medibid, which is a, a novel and important service where patients and doctors can bypass the middlemen make deals with each other, and actually uh, provide service that's cost-effective, price-transparent, and I believe this should be the future of our healthcare system. So, Ralph, I know you're so busy, and I'm really, really blessed to have you back on. I, I saw you a few weeks back at a at a conference, and it was so nice to reconnect with you. Yeah, it was great seeing you as well. Uh, that, was a, that was an interesting conference, and I always meet, you know, good friends at those and it's you know it's fun to reunite and find out what we're all doing we're all so busy so it's great seeing you exactly and i remember a few years back when i had you on i i'm i'm at for full transparency i'm also a member of medibid i really love the idea that i as a physician could set my price and find a patient who was willing to pay it and it and work together to find the best value, and no one felt like they were getting gouged, but they felt like they were getting value for the service. And I know it's grown so much since then. So I want to give you the the opportunity to first let us know a little bit about you and how you got Medibid started. Okay. Well, uh, I started Medibid. We started working on the concept in 2009. We opened to the public January 1st, 2010. Our initial idea was to target people with high deductible health plans, health savings accounts, people that were uninsured, you know, Canadians on waiting lists. Those were some of our initial markets. But as we grew the last, I would say, two, two and a half years, we've really focused uh, on the employer market mm-hmm. where a company with, you know, 50, even we, we've even got some with only 25 employees to uh, as many as uh, 80,000, uh, you know, want something that, as you mentioned, cuts out the middleman, restores the doctor-patient relationship, reduces costs, and they put that in in place of the preferred provider network, which they take out. The preferred provider network, as you know, managed care has been around since uh, 1973 when the HMO Act passed under President Nixon, and it's really morphed to the point where it's a, a huge burden on employers because of the increases in costs. There's shrouds of secrecy, and there's gag clauses and, and all kinds of things. Uh, in a PPO network. Recently, a couple of the very, very large carriers have been sued in the state of Michigan and the state of Illinois just for this reason, for, you know, saying that the provider billed $100,000 and we paid them 50000 and then it was found out that they actually paid them less and sort of, you know, skimmed some money off of there. So there are lawsuits like that that are, that are happening. Mm-hmm. There are some that are going to continue to happen. So we wanted something that was more pure that puts the doctor and the patient together again because, you know, you and I, of course, you know, remember back in the days of Dr. Marcus Welby, uh, you know, those types of shows where you had that direct relationship, which the insurance companies have gotten in between. You know, you said something that I really want to highlight because I I found this out myself. I really didn't know how this system worked, but it's, it's, it's just a setup to gouge people. You mentioned that the insurance companies and these uh, – well, basically, insurance companies, when they work with within employers, they try to sell themselves as a method of of saving money. Is that a, is that a fair way to say it? And and they get paid based on how much they save you. Is that how it works? Because I really want to highlight that because it's wrong if that's how it works. Well, you know, the insurance companies try to demonstrate that they save you money. Mm-hmm. 
but it's really sort of a shell game. They have the the charge master price, which is this fictitious, you know, price that nobody ever really pays. Mm-hmm. But that's what they put on the bill and then the insurance company pretends that they give you a, you know, 40 or 50% discount so that you'll say, "Wow, I'm sure glad I have that insurance company." Mm-hmm. In terms of how they charge, you brought up a good question. Some insurance companies charge that way. Some charge for percent of savings, but most of them charge in fees. From treatment of sinusitis with balloon dilation to minimally invasive office procedures to correct snoring, Peachtree ENT Center offers state-of-the-art care. We also specialize in price transparency. You'll know the cost of our ENT services before they're rendered, whether you have a high deductible plan or no insurance at all. Make an appointment today to find out why Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. Call 404-591-9100 or visit us at peachtreeentcenter.com. My question was, is there, these insurance companies seem to price things and try to tell the employer that their value is based on how much they save. Is there, in your opinion, a reason, that's the reason why the costs are so high? And and you mentioned that there was a charge master. Who makes up the charge master? Is it coming from the the hospital? Is it coming from the physician's office? Who sets that initial high fee? It's usually the hospitals. And I saw a comic once, <laughs> once which I think is probably appropriate. And it, it, you know, the comic was of you know a couple of monkeys with with a dartboard, you know, throwing darts and saying, "Hey, let's charge that." That's <laughs> <laughs> pretty good. And it was kind of it was kind of funny, but the prices really are that random. Uh, I mean, I've seen people charge a hundred thousand dollars for a knee replacement. The Medibed average price is under nineteen thousand. So charging a hundred thousand is ridiculous. The mm-hmm. average insurance company uh, paid price is thirty five thousand. So hundred thousand is relate is not related to anything. Now the way the insurance companies charge for network access, there are usually uh, a combination of any two of three fees. One is a fixed dollar amount, and it can range from two dollars per employee per month to as high as twenty five, sometimes even thirty dollars per employee per month. In addition, they usually charge an access fee. It can be, as you mentioned, a percentage of savings. Uh, it can also be a percentage of the procedure. Now, the, the, when they do it as a percentage of the procedure, it could be of the charged amount, it could be of the paid amount. There's no consistency. When they charge a percentage of savings, it's of that fictitious savings mm-hmm. because, you know, using round numbers, let's say a hospital bills $100,000 for a knee replacement and then the insurance company takes a fictitious discount of 50% and then pays the other 50000 Now, did they really save the patient 50000 No, they did. They they just had this, you know, uh, this game, this shell game where they have the charge master and then the allowable charges. So that wasn't actually really savings. So if anybody's charging a percent of savings versus the charge master, I think that that can be, you know, pretty deceptive. Absolutely. And this sounds like a Wild West situation. Is there any regulation that that is looking at this? I mean, what is the government doing? This is where I think they probably should step in to make sure that gouging isn't happening. This is is there any entity that watches what's going on? None well, there's a lot that watch what's going on. I, I, I dedicated a couple of chapters in my book uh called Rigged How Insurance Ruined Healthcare, uh just talking about this, the artificial PPO discounts and the charge master and, mm-hmm. and things like that. Uh the, the biggest thing that I have seen happen after Medibid started, uh a couple of uh companies started doing what's called reference based pricing. We have 87 companies that, that we administer through Medibid that do reference-based pricing. Now, what that is, is the plan pays a reference price. In other words, there's no charge price and artificial discount. There's just a reference. 
Now, in the state of California, the California state employees, CalPERS, pays a reference-based price on probably half a dozen or so procedures, knee replacement, hip replacement, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And on knees and hips, I I believe it's about $30,000 that they pay. So uh, that, that's been around for many years. The state of North Carolina and the state of Montana just announced within the last two or three months that they would be going uh, on to reference-based pricing for their state employees. North Carolina has 720,000 employees. Montana has 30,000 employees. And what they're doing is they're doing a multiple of Medicare. North Carolina, for example, I believe – that what they chose is 177% of Medicare. So in other words, if Medicare would pay $10,000 for a procedure, their plan will pay $17,700. The the multiple of Medicare is probably the most common reference used right now. Mm -hmm. Not that I necessarily think that Medicare has the magic formula on what things really cost, but it is a consistent reference. Uh, you know, most, most facilities and doctors and hospitals and ambulatory surgery centers have Medicare, you know, prices for everything, except for sometimes pediatric procedures. Because, of course, Medicare, as you, as you know, I mean, it covers mostly seniors and, and disabled people, but not too many children. So, but for everything else, there is a Medicare rate. So mm-hmm. if you do Medicare plus, you know, 20%, 50%, 70%, 70%, that's a reasonable thing. But still, the, well, I have to say, the Medicare rate is not based on reality either, frankly. But uh, <laughs> it's not commensurate with running a business and, and staying open. But it's still not based on reality. Don't they bother to ask, like an independent physician, independent surgeon, they know what the cost of something is. Shouldn't it be based on what the, I mean, to me, instead of what the hospital is going to charge, which is totally fake, what the doctor says it should be. I would be a heck of a lot cheaper, don't you think? Um, well, I, I believe it would be, Dr. George. I, I really do. However, when you talk to a stop-loss actuary or underwriter, they have to set the race, rates based on something concrete. Mm-hmm. And they know that 150% of Medicare, they know what the average price is going to be for a knee and a hip and heart valve and, you know, like all these things. They They know it. So they can predict fairly accurately. Um, They used to have plans that were called indemnity plans that were based on usual and customary or 80% of usual and customary. The problem is, how do you define that? Is is that the charge price? Is it the paid price? And the paid price, you know, both the charge and the paid price are artificial. So uh, I, I agree with you that, that Medicare doesn't know that, but if you have some latitude, if you say the plan will pay up to, again, let's say 150% of Medicare, some providers will say, hey, I, I, you know what, I am so good at this that I can charge 80% of Medicare. Others will say I want 130 and some will say I want 200 Right. And the employee can go to any provider they want. If they want somebody that charges more than 150% of Medicare, they, they just pay the difference. Okay. Uh, and that works because a lot of these plans, they don't have big deductibles and big copays. Mm-hmm. So in essence, your copay is the difference in charges. Well, that seems a lot more, uh, I think, patient-friendly from what you're describing. And it yeah, makes them consumers we, too, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Exactly. We had a client in the Seattle area with 185 people on their health plan. They were paying $2.3 million a year. We reduced their cost to $750,000 per year just by cutting out the middleman. And they used that savings of $1.5 million to invest in hiring more staff. Mm -hmm. And they built their business. They increased their sales. Uh, and now they have almost double the staff that they used to back then because they were wasting so much money on health care. You know, w- when I talk to a company about uh, what they're doing and how much it cuts into their profit, and I say, you know, I ask them, how do you increase the profit of your company? They say, well, you know, I mean, I could increase sales. Okay, if you increase sales, does 100% of every dollar go to the bottom line? No, no, it doesn't because I have to pay staff, cost of materials, et cetera. Okay, what else can you do? Well, I can cut expenses. Okay, if you cut expenses, does it go to your bottom? Yes, 100%. Okay. So where are we going to cut costs? 
most companies in America, the biggest uh, line item is payroll. The second biggest is very often health care. So uh, cutting payroll means you're actually losing people, which potentially could cut into your, your sales and productivity. But if you cut health care costs, then you're just really cutting of waste. Mm-hmm. 57% of companies feel that there is a lot of waste in healthcare, but only 7% of companies really, you know, do anything about it. And part of that is because the big insurance companies prohibit self-auditing. What? Okay, hold on. Yeah. What is that? <laughs> Go back over that one, please. Okay. <laughs> um, if you're dealing with one of the big insurance companies, the five big ones, very often, they will have a clause in their administrative services agreement that says the employer may not contact providers and ask them what they billed us or what we paid for the treatment of their employees. If, you know, that that can only be done through us. So if you want to know anything, you have to ask us. You can't ask the provider how much of your money we paid them. That's incredible. I mean, that is incredible. Talk about an unlevel playing field. So they get to say whatever they want, and they really are a closed gatekeeper. Yep, absolutely. And so the the employer is paying them. And I I have an example of this right now where it's an ERISA plan. I did the surgery, and it's being administered by a commercial insurance company. I got the pre-cert, did the procedure, and the the insurance company didn't pay me. And I'm now wow. in a, in limbo over a year now because the uh-huh. the union that that you know they're paying for the administrator I can't seem to get them on the phone they're not really accessible they need to know that the, they're they're paying for a product and they're not their member isn't getting served but I I'm stuck right. in limbo. I can't contact anybody and I'm just I'm at a lock and it I'm really I'm not happy about it but from what you're describing no, no wonder it's a black hole that they're just you have to talk to the insurance company. An insurance company has right. yeah. its conflict of interest, right? Mm-hmm. They're not going right. to want to pay it out, even though it's not their money. Yeah, it, it, exactly. And, you know, but sometimes they charge the employer. You know, they say, you know, this employee went to, you know, oh. Dr. Smith and had, you know, XYZ procedure done, uh, and we paid them. And, you know, the reason you can't contact Dr. Smith is he'll say, no, actually, they didn't pay me. They did a pre-cert, but then they you know, changed their minds. So um, that has occurred, too. And there, there's a lot of duplicate billing. Some is by mistake. Some is legitimately by mistake. Uh, I, I can't say for sure that all of it's by mistake. You know, I, I, I just don't know. Mm-hmm. The other thing. You know, there there are a few things that, that really save money. Uh, you know, when you're dealing with Medibid, for example, we have what's called bundled pricing, where they bundle the cost of the surgeon, the anesthesiologist, the facility fee, you know, nights in the hospital. They put all into one package. So the Medicare rate uh, for the facility fee might have a lot of excess in it, mm-hmm. whereas the Medicare rate for the doctor's fee might be a little bit short. By bundling it all, the hospital administrator and physician uh, together can say, hey, look, you know, I, I think that, you know, the Medicare would only pay me $1,200 for that. That's a little bit, you know, uh, that's a little bit low for an eight-hour surgery. I, I'd really like 2000 mm-hmm. And then the hospital says, yeah, you know, they kind of pay us a little bit, you know, too much, so we'll, we'll kind of trade off. So that can happen with bundled payments as well. I see. I wonder how often that happens, though. <laughs> I bet the hospital takes it all and doesn't give the surgeon oh, yeah, anything. Yeah. I mean, wow. On that note, we have to digest this. Let's take a break. You're listening to Medicine on Call. Are you having problems with persistent bad breath, constant throat clearing, hoarseness, a cough that won't go away? a sore throat, or a feeling that something's always stuck in your throat? Why not find out what the problem is so it can be fixed? At Peachtree ENT Center, we believe in taking time to work with our patients as a team to get to the root of the problem. Make an appointment today to see why Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. Call 404-591-9100 or visit us at peachtreeentcenter.com. 
Welcome back to Medicine Call. We're speaking with Mr. Rolf Weber, the CEO of Medibid, author, um, I think a healthcare futurist, actually, who's giving us the, the information about what really goes on behind the scenes with these employer-based plans. And these are called ERISA plans specifically, right? They're government-regulated, are they not? Correct. Um, there are two kinds of health insurance in the U.S. There is a fully insured plan and a self-insured plan. A fully insured plan is gov- governed by the state departments of insurance. A self-funded or self-insured plan is regulated federally uh, under RISA by the Department of Labor. 76% of American people that are covered by non-Medicare, Medicaid, VA, in other words, you know, everything but the government programs, 76% of them are covered by a self-insured health plan. In a self-insured health plan, it's the employer's money that pays, not the insurance company money. They usually have stop-loss insurance to protect that money, but it is nonetheless employer money. That, in my opinion, the employer should have full transparency into how it's being spent, Mm -hmm. Uh, but often they don't. And... I mean, they're writing the contract with these insurance companies. Do they, uh, I mean, I would think if I were in a, you know, part of the financial services of an office, I'd want to know where my money's going. The fact that I'm paying perhaps a percentage of what you're supposedly saving me, you have to have full transparency to know exactly what they're, what they're actually paying out. And if they're not paying out and they're charging me for the discount, that has to be fraud, isn't it? In my opinion, it is. Absolutely. I, I, I believe it is. Um, there, there really isn't a lot of transparency in healthcare in the U.S. It's very, very unfortunate because if there was, uh, I think a lot of things would be different. There are some companies that, that claim to add transparency mm-hmm. and, you know, they do a reasonable job. However, adding transparency alone doesn't cut costs. As a matter of fact, it can actually increase costs. Um, I've talked to employers where they've added a transparency tool where the employee can say, okay, I, I need a knee replacement. My deductible is $5,000. Where am I going to go? Mm-hmm. And they see two doctors, Dr. Jones and Dr. Smith. Dr. Jones uh, wants $30,000. And, and when I say Dr. Jones, I really mean the facility, the anesthesia, like the whole the whole price, not just the surgeon. Mm-hmm. Um, is going to be thirty thousand, whereas the other hospital with Dr. Smith in it might be ninety thousand. So most employees are going to say, "Hey, look, it's going to cost me the same five thousand no matter where I go. I want the ninety thousand dollar provider," because most Americans, lacking more information, use the price as a proxy for quality. But we've done some studies that have shown that very often the exact opposite is true. And let me explain why. Let's take those two prices, 30000 and 90000 So let's say the um, the one that charges 30000 is a very experienced surgeon. He does 500 knee replacements a year. He's in and out in 25 minutes. If he runs into a complication, he's seen it 100 times that year alone. He's got no problem. He fixes it, bang. You're, you're in and out of the operating room in 30 minutes. The inexperienced surgeon does one or two of these a year. He comes across a complication he has to call another surgeon in. Even if he doesn't, it might take him two hours. Now, the cost of health care is broken down into a few components. There's the surgeon's fee, the anesthesiologist, the facility fee, in ter- and, and even the facility fee has, has two parts, time in the operating room and nights in the hospital. So if you're only under anesthesia for half an hour, you might not even need to stay overnight in the hospital. Whereas if you're under for two hours, number one, you've got more OR time, more anesthesia time, and those both bill by time, and possibly one or two nights in the hospital because you've been under anesthesia for so long. So the inexperienced surgeon can actually result in higher charges. Wow. Um, On that note, let's take a break. You're listening to Medicine on Call.
health insurance was the promise of Obamacare. But for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. We're speaking with Mr. Ralph Weber, the author of a book, a new book called Rigged. And everybody should go out and get that because I think one of the things that people are really in the dark about, they don't have knowledge. They just, you know, this whole healthcare system and the people who want to change it, they drive everything by emotion. But they don't, people don't know enough to be critical thinkers. They just know that they're paying a lot, they're not getting a lot but they have no idea how to access the system and how to make the system work for them. And I think your book, one, is a, is a treasure trove of information so that you can become informed. And then the second piece is the company that you run, Medibit, which is the solution to these problems. Like, you don't have to worry about having a health insurance plan to be part of a member of Medibit. You don't have to have anything but the will to find someone who can help you. And that's just distilling healthcare down to the doctor and the patient, which I really love. And I think that you you provide a pressure uh, that's going to exert force, like a fulcrum, against this system continuing to work the way it is. It can't continue the way it is. I mean, the Affordable Care Act now is hopefully gone, but it's not really. It's just in name only. But in practice, it's still there. Have you seen, since the advent of the Affordable Care Act, have you seen people who had the Affordable Care Act had coverage, and because it was so expensive, couldn't use it and actually ended up using Medibit? Yeah, I've seen a lot of people, uh, because it, it really increased costs for so many people. Mm-hmm. The passage of the, the ACA just increased costs for so many people that they got to the point that their costs were higher, their deductibles were higher, they're out of pocket. So they just said, I just can't afford this. And they ended up getting something that was just, in some cases, inadequate uh, or just staying uninsured and, and just paying the fine, which is sometimes cheaper than the coverage. Um, one of the good things that has happened is the the rise and the growth of the healthcare sharing ministries. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of these healthcare sharing ministries are very, very efficient. And uh, an employer still needs to meet certain mandates, which are still in effect. Uh, if you have more than 50 full-time equivalent employees. And one of the things that we do is we set them up so that they have a plan that, um, you know, that is compatible with the ACA, that checks the box, that the employer is offering the uh, health plan. Uh, it allows the employees to set up a health savings account to put pre-tax dollars in, and then it allows them to use health care sharing for the big procedures like the heart attacks, the cancer, strokes, knee replacements, et cetera. Excellent. I mean, it's you kind of mix and match, but you're actually using the most efficient and cost-effective parts to mix and match. And, you know, I think Correct. the mindset, too, is you don't want an insurance plan or anything to cover the first dollar, right? You're looking for coverage right. of the unforeseen expense, the catastrophic. Is that how people should look at it? Um, in many cases, yes. And I've got to be honest, I have softened my approach when it comes to that in recent years in some cases, and, and here's why. There's, uh, I forget the name of the entity that, that did this study, but what they said is basically anybody that has a deductible, an annual deductible that's more than 5% of their annual salary or out-of-pocket costs that are more than 10% of their salary uh, has an, an unaffordable health plan. They're, they're paying too much. So when I talk to a CFO, he'll usually say, oh, yeah, we want a plan with $5,000 deductible and and $6,000 out-of-pocket maximum. 
Well, according to that, the employee, you know, to, to have a $5,000 deductible, the employee to be 5% should make $100,000. So $5,000 deductible equates to an employee earning $100,000. I've heard that 42% of Americans, even though and most of those have insurance, put off needed procedures because they can't afford the out-of-pocket costs. Uh, recently, to make this even worse, some of the big insurance companies announced, and I'm paraphrasing here, but you know, they, they basically said, you know what, we just have some providers that just aren't in network. It's very, very possible that your anesthesiologist is not going to be in network and, and they're going to charge you extra. So we, we just can't control that. Mm-hmm. And that happens a lot. And it's not even, they don't tell the people before they actually have the surgery. That that doesn't only happen in the operating room these days. It's happening in the doctor's offices. So I've seen people who've gone in for colonoscopies. You know, it's like an outpatient, basically an office-based procedure in some GI doctor's offices. But the anesthesiologist that goes there is not in network. And the patient gets dinged with an anesthesia bill, even though it's an office-based procedure. Is there any way that we can make... You know, I understand that there's all these moving parts, but why can't they be transparent in the sense that you're getting another bill before you do the thing so that you're not, you know, caught, you know, outside looking in with, I've got three other bills I didn't even know I I was going to have. And people are outraged. And they take it out on the doctor, actually, when that happens. Oh, yeah, they do. There are some states which have passed legislation that says if you go to a hospital that's in network, every single provider in that hospital will be paid as if they are in network, whether they are or not. Wow. The patient is not going to be responsible. I don't know how many states. That's actually, you know, as much as I disagree with so much legislation, that's actually one of the, you know, pieces of legislation that, that to me actually makes sense. Well, it's buyer beware. They don't do that for cars. They don't do that for anything else. They can't go and stick you with a bill after the fact, after you've negotiated, right? I mean, technically, an expectation is negotiated for their insurance company to set a rate. They're going to pay what they say they're going to. I mean, this is my, as I'm sure any physician out there, this is so wrong on so many levels. The doctor and the patient play by the rules. I get a pre-cert. I ask to do it. It's medically necessary. The patient pays their premium, and then we both get the rug pulled out from us, from under us after the fact, because the insurance company decides right. arbitrarily it's not medically necessary, it's not covered, after they pre-certified it, by the way, right? So they mm-hmm. said you could do it, you do it, and then they don't pay you. Right. That's horrible. Mm-hmm. I mean, you shouldn't have to it, fight it, like that. Correct, correct. And I sometimes wonder, you know, when we deal with uh, billing people, very often they don't, you know, they're they're a separate company that does billing for, you know, maybe a dozen or two doctors' offices. Mm-hmm. They, you know, a lot of most doctors' offices don't do the billing themselves. They hire a, a company. Um, some of these companies just really have these incentives. And when I say doctors, I, I mean generically doctors and hospitals. Uh, I'm not picking on physicians because most physicians are very very honest people that got into it for the right reason. But once you're dealing with a hospital and, and there's so many other moving parts, I wonder if there's an, an incentive for that billing company to get as much as possible. And, you know, in many cases, they, they just feel that they're kind of, you know, quote, unquote, sticking it to the man, meaning the insurance company. Right. But sometimes it's the, the patient that has to pay, especially when there's a balanced bill that they weren't expecting. Exactly. But I think the whole thing, honestly, could be avoided if we really started to look at the cost drivers, you know, the mm-hmm. pharmacy benefit management companies for the, yes, for Big Pharma, what are the GPOs for medical equipment and supplies? They are a problem. And I don't, I don't know when they started to exist, but I have a feeling that when they came online, that's when the explosion of, of prices happened. Do you have that feeling? Right. Yeah, I sure do. And I would add the PPOs to that. You know, you, the PBMs, the GPOs, and the PPOs are the three sort of middlemen, uh, PPO, of course, for medical care, GPO for the uh, devices mm-hmm. and, and uh, durable medical equipment, and then PBMs for the for the pharmaceutical drugs and stuff. And, and of course, the the uh, session that you and I were at in Washington D.C. That's what that's a large part of that. What, what that was all about is cutting out the middleman. Exactly, and the fact that the Congress has ingrained this in its its law 
that they could do this and that's not considered to be a crime. Who thought that? I mean, I just really want to know who, who introduced that legislation because that was the end of <laughs> affordable health care in the country. But, you know, the thing that I, that really struck me in the, in the conversation that we were at is that everybody is complicit, right? Because it's not just the PBMs and the rest of these guys, it's Congress too, because they're getting money back right. in terms of lobbying. So it's a complete circle. Oh, yeah. And you and I do not have the same power to go up there and give our right. peace of mind. They could care less about what we're saying, but we're the ones out there really trying to do our best to make health care affordable, take care of patients, really be a liaison and, and an advocate for the patient. These guys work against the patient 24-7, but they're given access, they're given carte blanche. We really ha- how, do you, how do you think we can expose this? I mean, what you're doing is working around it, which is awesome, because you're providing a solution. Right. But how do we let people know this exists? Well, you know, it, it, it's really tough. It, it has to start with the employee. An individual employee or an individual self-employed person is very, very difficult to do anything about. But employers that have a self-insured health plan mm-hmm. uh, need to say, look, I want to see how, how you're spending my money. I've got it right. It's my money. I want to see it. And they need to look at their ASA or Administrative Services Agreement and see if there's a clause in it, like I mentioned in the first segment uh, of this show, that says you cannot ask the provider how much they charge and how much they were paid. But they've got to make sure that these aren't in there. We always do a full data, data, data analytics when we're taking on a new client, and we have a healthcare waste index where we determine how much money is wasted, unnecessary. And I'm not talking about unnecessary procedures. I'm talking about duplicate billing. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about providers that, that um, you know, have higher billed amounts. Uh, one client I did an analysis for, they had 900,000 claims. They had, um, I think they had about 80,000 employees, I think, if, some, if I'm not mistaken, maybe 250,000 total people when you include their dependents. Um, they paid over $648 million in healthcare charges, or at least that's what they were charged, I should say. They, they paid uh, about 30% less than that. But there was one charge, and there's a billing code. Most of the office, you know, a doctor's office billing codes start with a 99. Mm-hmm. For example, a 99-213 is a level three office visit. There's a billing code uh, that's 99-199, and it's for a primary care physician, family doctor, miscellaneous charges. If you look up that code, the Medicare website says it's most often used for a no-show. And if a patient books uh, an appointment, they don't call in 24 hours in advance. And as long as there's a written policy that all patients have signed, then that's legitimate. This client had one charge for 99199 You will never guess <laughs> how much that was. $28,000. Oh, what? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. Woo. Yeah. That's incredible. $28,000 for a no-show for a family doctor. I don't even have words for that. That's amazing. And this is why people, (laughs) this, that one example is what hoses everybody else. On that note, let's take a break. On our last break, we're listening to Medicine on Call. If you've tried taking over-the-counter medications, but still have problems with nasal congestion, recurrent sinus infections, sinus headaches, or a dry mouth when you wake up in the morning, why not fix the problem? From natural integrative treatment to minimally invasive surgery, Peachtree ENT Center will work with you to find the solution that works best for you. Call 404-591-9100 today to make an appointment or visit us at peachtreeentcenter.com because Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. From treatment of sinusitis with balloon dilation, to minimally invasive office procedures to correct snoring, Peachtree ENT Center offers state-of-the-art care. We also specialize in price transparency. You'll know the cost of our ENT services before they're rendered, whether you have a high deductible plan or no insurance at all. Make an appointment today to find out why Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. Call 404-591-9100 or visit us at peachtreeentcenter.com.
Welcome back to Medicine on Call. Before the break, um, Mr. Weber was talking about you know, a really horrendous example of, I don't even know what to say about it. Um, it's horrible. <laughs> but I, let's, let's, do, let's start a positive uh, train of thought here. If I'm a small employer, first of all, what are the size of, of employers that you generally work with when you're setting up um, their, their system, their medical system? Most of my employers have between 50 and 500 employees. I would say that's probably, let's see, 70 to 80 percent. Uh, my, my largest one has 80,000. Uh, my smallest one has, uh, has 10. Um, but you know, I've got everything in between. So I would say, yeah, 50 to, to 500 is the most, but, uh, really 25 to 5,000 is 90, 98% of them. Okay. And when you approach them, I used, you mentioned that you, there's not one size fits all. That's another thing I really love about your, your, um, your business is that I may want health sharing ministries for my employees and somebody else may want mm-hmm. something else. How do you, I mean, I know you offer everything. How do you just, I, what would be the thing that would make you run towards or, or recommend a health sharing ministry, for example? Because most people don't know about that, and they are they, they think it's too good to be true most of the time when you tell them about it. What is the thing that you say to an employer that that educates them that this may be an option for them? Right. Well, health sharing ministries are uh, they do ask health questions up front, so you have to be healthy. And some self-insured plans for smaller companies, not for larger companies, but for smaller companies, also ask health questions up front. So, and it costs more if you're a smoker or if you're not healthy or if you have a pre-existing condition. Now, the fully insured market, uh, there, you know, for small employers, they, there is no discrimination, but then everybody pays more because they're going to be some unhealthy people. Mm-hmm. In terms of the healthcare sharing ministries, uh, that, that has just exploded. I mean, you know, there are probably about seven or eight, uh, you know, sort of of the main ones, mm-hmm. uh, that are out there. And then there are a few that have started since that aren't technically called a quote unquote ministry. They're healthcare sharing entities that operate sometimes in the same way. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of those entities are usually much more transparent, uh, in terms of what's charged, what's paid, uh, what doctors they can go to, et cetera. Uh, most of them don't have a preferred provider network that restricts them uh, only to, you know, people in network, uh, you know, which means that you can shop around. Uh, we work with two of those uh, ministries where any kind of medical care that their members need, they just come to us and they say, I need a knee replacement, a colonoscopy, an MRI, uh, you know, and, and they get that uh, through us. When they make a request, they can look at the quality, they can look at the price, they can look at the location, and, uh, you know, the, the credentials of the surgeon to make that choice. So to get back to your question, when would I recommend it? I always recommend that's one of the options that they look at. Uh, certainly not the only option, but one of the options. Uh, some of the healthcare sharing ministries are, you know, faith-based. So, you know, the employees have to sign a statement of faith for some of them, but not all of them. So it's always something that you can should consider among other options. Gotcha. And in terms of, uh, you know, like standalone indemnity plans like AFLAC or something like that, is that also a strategy that you recommend or not? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, we usually recommend that with healthcare sharing as with any other plan that has a deductible. Mm-hmm. We've created uh, plans that uh, I was just talking to an employer today. It covers emergency room, inpatient, outpatient, doctor's visits, prescription drugs, like all of the, the quote-unquote things that we consider normal health care. There are some restrictions on them, uh, you know, in terms of how much it'll pay. Like, for example, what I said earlier, 150% of Medicare. And in some cases, there are restrictions in, in terms of how many events that you can have per year. So, but having said that, I've seen these things as low as sometimes $200 for a single employee per month. 
Um, and that's with a $1,500 deductible and a health savings account. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also had plans that have zero deductible, zero deductible, cover all the big stuff, uh, sometimes as low as 250 to $275 per employee per month. And those kinds of plans are great for employers that don't have the margin to pay for a, you know, fully, fully insured, you know, plan with, with the big insurance companies. Those are great alternatives. But because of the restrictions, sometimes employees like to have those kinds of products like, you know, Assurity, Aflac, uh, you know, Colonial, et cetera, mm-hmm. to, to cover some of the gaps. Got you. And with the changes in the administration, like being able, I don't know if it's actually been implemented yet. They've talked about it. But buying insurance across state lines, um, I know that I, the HSAs are still locked to the insurance companies, but I understand there's been a movement, hopefully a push, towards opening up the HSAs so that you can use them for whatever you want, you know, whether that's insurance, whether that's Health sharing ministries, whether that's direct primary care. Do you know anything about any of either of those two um, innovations? Well, let, let's talk about buying insurance across state lines. It, it really doesn't do a whole lot. You know, as, I, as we spoke about earlier, self-insured ERISA plans are federally, uh, you know, set up, so there is no state line in those kinds of plans at all. Okay. And that covers 76% of Americans. Um, what's more important is buying medical care across state lines. Now, you mentioned a colonoscopy done uh, being done in a doctor's office. There are many states that allow that, Tennessee, Oregon, Georgia, uh, et cetera, where you can have a level 2B sedative administered in a doctor's office. There are other states, such as Minnesota, Texas, to mention just two, where colonoscopy has to be done under general anesthesia in either an inpatient or an outpatient facility, and that greatly increases the costs. Our average cost for colonoscopy nationwide, uh, our average is about $1,000. Our target price is $698 because in a lot of states, our average is is five six hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. In some states, our average is twelve hundred to fifteen hundred. So, getting insurance, sorry, getting medical care across state lines makes a whole lot of sense. Um, so, so that you know, versus buying insurance across state lines. The the other thing, I, I forget what what was the other thing that you mentioned as a question. Well, the HSAs. If we can, un- are they going to oh, be right. unlocked? Right. Okay, we already set up HSAs for employers that use healthcare sharing. Okay, it has to be part of an employer-sponsored plan, so we already do that right now, and it falls 100% within IRS regulations. Uh, that way, they can they can you know get an HSA contribution by their employer or by themselves, uh, and 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 save that money. So so that's a really really good. Good thing to do. HSAs are one of the best uh, pre-tax vehicles available Mm -hmm. because when you turn 65, you can use it the same way you can an IRA. Take out the money. Oh, that's cool. Before age 65, you can only spend it on, you know, quote-unquote medical care, which is listed in Section 213B of the Internal Revenue Code. And when you take them out, it's you're going to be taxed on it after 65, right, because it was pre-tax dollars? Is that how it would work? Correct. Okay. Yeah. That's okay. correct. Now, some of the things you can you can uh, spend your your HSA money is traveling for medical care. For example, if you're traveling from Atlanta to Houston or Atlanta to Costa Rica, then your travel costs, in some cases, if they're needed uh, in order to get medical care, are deductible. I went uh, a few years ago uh, and and I traveled to get a, a crown done. And even after the travel and the accommodations, I still saved $1,200 versus getting it in Houston because I went overseas. Hmm. So many of these expenses are tax deductible or can be covered by an HSA. Wow. I mean, the, the choices are endless. When you know what, what, the, what the bounds are, you can really mix and match and really make it your own. You know, and we don't have a few uh, minutes left. I just want to make sure that people can can find you. What's the best way to contact you? If I, you know, I'm a small business owner. I need to contact you myself to make sure I can get my employees set up properly. But I mean, you you yeah. you handle everybody all over the country. Is that correct? 
Yeah, exactly. We've got people, you know, in, in our office that, that deal with smaller companies, you know, like with five or ten employees, uh, and we have specialists that work with the, with the larger employees. Uh, a lot of um, brokers come to us uh, and consultants. Uh, and, and they say, I have a client. They've got, you know, whether it's, whether it's, you know, 10 employees or, or 20,000, um, you know, we, we help those brokers as well to put together the products and services that just make sense. Mm-hmm. Best way to reach us is, um, well, you can contact me personally, Ralph at medibid.com, uh, or you can call us at uh, 888-855-6334. That's awesome. And just for the patients, just so do they have, is there a membership fee to join Medibit or do you just access the website? How does that work for a patient? Um, Normally it's through an employer group only. Uh, We did have an individual uh, retail capability. Uh, However, that's temporarily disabled. What we had is, you know, sometimes you have institutions uh, that, that sort of, you know, use that Mm -hmm. uh, and that's not the intent the intent is for individual patients so we have to reconfigure that so that it's it's done properly and so that it serves the right people okay Uh, it's a great alternative uh, and we're working on an individual membership okay awesome because i'm i'm going to start so let me know when it's when it's active so i can start referring people there because i think it's whoever has the pocketbook has the power and it should be the patient and not the rest of this crew (laughs) Well, Ralph, the, the time goes so fast, Ralph. I have to have you come back and, and talk more specifically about your book because it, where can they get it, by the way, Rigged? Well, the, the Kindle version is on Amazon, um, and it's called Rigged, How Insurance Ruined Healthcare. I'm actually getting the paperback copy on Amazon. Uh, it should be up there shortly. I'm not sure exactly when. Um, but right now, it's available at howinsuranceruinedhealthcare.com. Uh, until I get it uh, uploaded to Amazon. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time, Ralph. I know you're busy, but whenever you have a chance, I'd love to have you back on again. Absolutely. I'd love to be. It's always a pleasure. Same right here. Thank you for listening to Medicine on Call. You can reach me on Twitter as well as uh, Facebook at Medicine on Call. Take care. Bye-bye. Revolutionary Talk for Revolutionary Times. Promoting peace, liberty, and prosperity around the clock. LibertyTalk.fm.